Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Adam, the trade deadline has come and Adam, the trade deadline has come and gone. We will have much to discuss as it pertains to the Nashville Predators' strategy around the trade deadline, of course. What it also means for the decisions the Preds will have to make in the summertime. I know you love some good expansion conversation, but there are some contracts expiring. Some decisions will have to be made, so it, it not only affects the team this year, but also, of course, the decisions in the summer. Why exactly are the Nashville Predators winners of 12 of 15? How are how are they doing this, Adam, uh, as we've tried to discuss on the show uh, many, many times? And then we'll take a look at the deadline sort of around the NHL and what it really means for the future of the Central Division, not just the Central Division as it sits today, but what it looks like maybe uh, long-term down the road when it returns to normal, hopefully, <laughs> next year. Uh, in, in the in the NHL. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, so we're just going to ignore the Tampa Bay game on Tuesday evening. So if you're listening to this, of course, after that game, sorry. Hate, hate it for you. Um, but some scheduling issues arose, so we had to get it get into the studio and, and, and get this bad boy recorded. Plus, we're going to focus on the trade deadline, right? Which I know you're just so riveted by. Me? Yeah, I know you're just, you've been obsessed with the trade deadline for the better part of weeks the day after the trade deadline is one of my favorite days of the NHL calendar. Because it's just done? It's done. Okay. Well, we'll get to a lot of stuff as it pertains to the trade deadline. Did the Preds do the right thing? Were Did they make the most boring trade in franchise history? We'll get to that in just a second. However, the gold standard is brought to you by... Jaspers! Jaspers on West End. Some people are saying it's the next evolution of the sports bar. They have a cocktail there, Adam, called the gold standard. They do? Named after this podcast. They do. It is? Uh-huh. Unsweet Tea. Steve Cavendish of Lamestream Sports attacked you for your Unsweet Tea takes. When did he do that? On last week's episode. Thanks for listening. Lamestream Sports out every Friday. He attacked me? Yeah, I think it was it was, it was was visceral. He besmirched my good name? He did. There was a besmirching. Yes. Because I don't like sweet tea? Yeah, he, he, he thinks that's the wrong take. Well, I think his take is wrong. <laughs> you told him. I, I agree with your take when it comes to booze. I agree with his take when it comes to be regular beverages. So um, I'm, I'm straddling the fence here. It's it's just gross. Sweet tea is just gross. And got some right here with some lemonade. Mm, delicious. I um doesn't have any booze in it, though, so it's sweet. There you go. Well, sometimes when I go to a, a local eatery... Um, Namely Jasper's. Namely Jasper's. But today I, I made a pit stop and I went and grabbed myself an iced tea from the cooler or whatever you call it. The refrigerator? Refrigerator, yeah. yes. Those things? Those things that keep drinks cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I picked out a pure leaf, unsweetened, and right next to it was pure leaf extra sweet tea. Ooh. And... I don't want to meet a person that drinks extra sweet tea. <laughs> I don't want to know you. They're almost you, all of the people that are commenting on your stories. Probably. <laughs> I don't want to know you if you drink extra sweet tea. Mm, tea snob, Adam Vingan. That's me. Go to Jasper's and order a gold standard because it has unsweet tea in it and some whiskey, which is cool. Uh, great parking, great place to hang out, great place to watch the game, and, of course, to watch the Nashville Predators. Great happy hour, 4 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, and also... During Preds games, you can get 
you know, like two draft beers and two appetizers for like 20 bucks. It's a great deal. Uh, way cheaper than, you know, going to eat food at the game. That's for sure. Uh, all right. And more delicious. And more delicious. No question about that. All right. So um, before we get to the trade deadline I- situation, just quickly be- before before we get to that, the last time we, we talked to you guys, um, the, the Preds dropped a seven spot on Detroit, which I believe was the second time they did that. They finished the season series with the Red Wings, six games, six wins, and two losses, which is sort of what you have to do against the worst team in your division. They lost to Tampa on Saturday, 3 nothing, And then, of course, they won on Sunday against Dallas, 3-2 to two in overtime. And I thought this, this last chunk of games, Adam, was sort of the entire season encapsulated. They are really bad against the good teams, 3-13-1 against the top three. Again, not including Tuesday night's matchup against Tampa and 16 and three against the bottom three teams. And I'm saying, and I'm calling that Chicago, Columbus and Detroit. And they are basically dead even with the Dallas stars. Is that not, is this last week, basically their entire season encapsulated into a a three game set? I actually don't think the predators played all that poorly against the lightning, despite the three, nothing loss. But of course that's what matters. Uh, But to your point, it has broken down that way that, the Predators have collected a majority of the points against the worst teams in the division. Uh, they have gotten uh, their butts kicked mostly by the top teams in the division. And the one team that's probably on par with them, they're even with. I'm not sure. What's their record against Dallas? They, they are four and three against Dallas, but all four wins have come in the shootout. All four have in all, a shootout? All four. Uh, well, at least three. I'm pretty sure they have five total shootout victories on the season, which is tied for the NHL lead. Dallas has 11 overtime losses. They do. It, like the, the the discrepancy between those two is insane. They basically are even, the way I look at it. Yeah, um, that all sounds right to me. I would have expected that um, at the beginning of the season. Um, and what's going to be difficult for the Predators? Again, we were we are recording this on Tuesday. So we are looking ahead at the schedule, including last night's game with the lightning. So starting with last night's game, seven of the predators final 13 games were against Tampa, Carolina and Florida. Um, I believe Dallas, the majority of their schedule, their remaining schedule has a heaping helping of the Columbus and Detroit. So if the Stars are going to gain ground with their games in hand on the Predators, they have a much easier schedule than the Predators do. So that's something that has to be taken into account. Um, A lot of they only have one game left between each other. The Predators and Stars. Yeah, there's one left. There is one left. Uh, The 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 uh, the Red Wings are the only team that. Well, now actually they're done with the Lightning too. Yeah, they've they've got two. They've got two with. Florida and four with Carolina. So those are the six. They got three with Chicago, which after the trade deadline, hopefully is a little easier. Um, the, the point here is that the Dallas stars have not only games in hand, but an easier schedule. Right. And it, it, it this will lead us into the trade conversation, which to me is doesn't, don't those numbers tell you, Adam, that they have largely been uncompetitive against the best three teams. And again, I am not suggesting that they haven't played better in certain games and they lost three, nothing like you pointed out. On Saturday, I'm not saying like sort of carried the play, but three thirteen and one is it is what it is against the the better teams in the division. Who doesn't that tell you even more that you're not going to probably win a playoff series? That 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 trying to 
sell off some pieces at the deadline should have been the right strategy, which I'm already ahead of myself now on this. But like, don't those numbers tell you that they are what they are, that they're right in the middle and that the best they're going to do is a playoff series and maybe they push somebody to six or seven games? Yeah, I would agree with that, which is why yesterday was so confounding, which we'll get to shortly. We can do it now. I, I want to. I'm going in. I want in on the confoundingness. Okay, go ahead. Well, I just. I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that I, I don't mind going out and getting a defenseman. I don't care about the price. I don't care about the asking price. The seventh round draft pick, fine, whatever. Eric Goodbrinson, a 29 year old large human that's going to come in and be a warm body in a position of need, maybe. I, whatever. That doesn't bother me. But not moving anybody for a future asset, whatever that may be, third rounder, fourth rounder. And I know that those guys aren't guaranteed to be starters, but this team is not going to win a series because they kept me Kyle Granlin or Nick Cousins or Eric Halla or you know anybody else. I, I just don't understand. I don't know. I, I, I don't really know how to finish my rant here, Adam, because I look at this team and they're not able to beat the best teams. What makes you think that holding on to these pieces is going to allow you to beat the best teams in the playoffs? I don't get it. That Those are largely my thoughts, too. And I thought that David Poyle's press conference yesterday was, excuse me, on Monday. Monday. Yeah. I have to keep remembering we're recording this on Tuesday. The press conference on Monday was illuminating in some interesting ways. Um, I guess that's what illuminating means. Um, Might have been redundant there. No, I think I, uh, the one thing <laughs> that I thought was most there are a lot of things actually that I thought were interesting, but one of the more telling comments that David Poyle made on Monday um, was in response to a question from our friend Joe Rexroad about how Poyle's perception of this team's postseason chances have changed. Um, over the past month. And this is what he said, end quote. I think that's really reaching for it to say that we're a Stanley Cup contender right now. We need to make the playoffs first. That would be a significant step from where we were to get there. And that, to me, is <laughs> what was so interesting. He's saying the quiet part out loud a little bit? Perhaps. Interesting is the only word I can come up with right now. But what was so interesting, again, about that press conference and about David's approach to the trade deadline is if making the playoffs isn't a guarantee, why be a buyer? Yes. Eric Goodbranson, if the predators play their cards, right. And nobody else gets injured is not going to have a significant role in this team. He signed a three-year contract with Vancouver in February of 2018. I like this step. And the Predators are his fifth team yeah. since he signed that contract. He that's, went, that's hard to do. He went from Vancouver to Pittsburgh to Anaheim to Ottawa to Nashville. And he was, I believe, a third overall pick in the 2010 draft. He's a $4 million cap hit this year. I would like the audience to, to, to note, by the way, that, Adam, you just rattled off Eric Goodbrinson's last five teams in order over his, his last contract right off the top of your head. Well, I would like to point that out. Well, I, I wrote it yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. So don't give me too much credit. We're sorry, wrote about it on Monday. This Tuesday thing is really yeah, come on. freaking me out. <laughs> um, anyway, so David said that, of course, it's much better to be a buyer than a seller and that 
he feels that it's a reward for the team for playing so well and putting themselves in a position to make the playoffs. But that's ridiculous. The Eric the Eric Goodbranson move is similar to a lot of the recent deadline moves that David Poyle has made. You think of Cody McLeod, Vern Fiddler, um, P.A. Parento. Those were all during the uh, Stanley Cup year in 2017. Last year, Corbinian Holzer. Cor- Corbinian Holzer got a lot of run on Monday on Pred's Twitter. He did? Oh, yeah. Just like all the comps. Like, oh, this is about as exciting as Corbinian Holzer. The difference between those moves and this and this move with this team is that at least those teams were thought to be legitimate playoff teams. This team, despite where they are, still have a less than 50% chance of making the playoffs. So I, I, I just don't get it. The other thing that I don't understand is for an organization that has perhaps more than any other team in the NHL in the last 20 years drafted elite defensemen. We know the list. Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Seth Jones, Sam Gerrard, etc. He has this fascination with the Jared Tenortis and Eric Goodbransons, Alexa Yemelins, and Corbinian Holzers. You don't need, I mean, Barrett Jackman from, four, you know, five, six years yeah, ago. Yeah. Ben Harper. You don't need those defensemen. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, you can throw Mark Borvietsky into that conversation too. I mean, there's I, they've had a lot of injuries. They've been very, I know. Un, they've been very unlucky. But you don't necessarily need that tough guy on the back end. They're none of them are moving the needle in a positive way. Yeah. So I always I, I found that fa- I find that fascinating too. Well, so let me ask you this then, because it sounds like we agree on the basic premise of the strategy that. What are we doing holding on to expiring contracts and assets that could give us something in the future, um, knowing that it's probably not going to change the outcome of the season this year, while also probably still being the leader in the clubhouse to make the playoffs, right? Which is sort of a fun place to be, you know, especially considering where this team was a month and a half ago as like the top seller with all the best pieces to trade off. And now none of those guys were on the trade block. And we're okay with that. I'm okay with that comb not being moved. I'm okay with the big names not being moved at this point. I've changed my opinion on that. I'll put my hand up and say, you know what? Fine. Maybe we were too early on the complete rebuild and tear down. My question is why do we believe that there wasn't an asking, like somebody didn't want me, Kyle Grandland? Or do we think that nobody wanted Eric Halla? Is it possible that there just wasn't anything on the table at all for any of these guys? I know David Poyle has said, you know, since the the deadline that he wants to try to re-sign Grandland. They can't afford another $5 million forward. I, I just don't know what what is the reason behind not making the move, I guess is my question. I have to imagine, and I do not know this for sure, that there were offers for Mikhail Granlund. And you look at the rental forwards that were moved at the deadline, the likes of Kyle Palmieri, Nick Foligno, Taylor Hall, Matthias Yanmark was worth a second and a third to Chicago, there was some salary retention, and there was a third team in there. A lot of creative stuff. A happening. lot of creative stuff happened. But if those players were going for first round, second round, third round picks, you have to imagine Mikhail Granlund certainly could have fetched something within that range. And as I wrote on Monday, Mikhail Granlund has been indispensable 
this season with all of the injuries, but he is not irreplaceable. And love him or hate him, Matt Duchesne playing in that spot, I would not consider to be a significant downgrade from Mikhail Granlund at all. Well, I, don't, I, I would hope not. He's getting paid twice more than twice as much. I understand that, but as we... are talking dis- about Granlund playing so well this year. and Right. Yeah. I've discussed, and we've discussed on, on the show... You know, the perception of certain players who have been injured and how the team winning without them has changed that perception. Mm. Namely, Ryan Ellis, who's back and scored, by the way. So suck it, haters. And wow. <laughs> that escalated quickly. And and Matt Duchesne. I personally just don't understand all of the Ryan Ellis hate, but that's just me. I, I don't either. I'm with you. But it doesn't mean we and we'll get to our summer decisions here in a second. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be looking to move here at home this summer. So. Well, based on what David Poyle said yesterday, or sorry, Monday, um, uh, I think you're overreacting now. I am. I'm. I'm. I'm being a little excitable for once. You're kind of snarky today. You're spicy, Adam. You haven't been spicy, Adam, in a while. Well, yesterday is a long. Yesterday, ugh, Monday was a long day. Well, technically, it is yesterday because we're recording this on Tuesday. But Monday, but Tuesday's supposed to be your favorite day of the calendar year in the NHL, right? Monday was you're a not long day. Like Yes. The the trade deadline is always a long day. Um, so I'm I'm a bit tired. Oh. But um, better get used to that. Yes. Well, anyway, so back to Granland. As I was saying, if you were to take Granland out of this lineup and put a, a healthy Matthew Shane in his place, would that make this team significantly worse? No. No, it wouldn't. Duchesne, yes, had not been producing before he was injured. But I think everything else he was doing other than scoring, and I know that's a big if slash other than, he was doing everything else well. He was he was driving play. He was entering the zone with possession on a normal basis. He was drawing a lot of penalties. Okay. He was doing all of the right things other than, again, a big other than, putting the puck in the net. And... If the Predators would have received a, a, a nice offer for Mikhail Granlund and chose not to take it, and again, we don't know what those offers are, so we can't speak to, well, David Poyle was dumb for taking for not trading Mikhail Granlund necessarily because we don't know what the offers are. But if there was an offer and he wasn't willing to do it, I think that was the wrong decision. And I, I agree with you. I, I think if there were offers, perhaps on the table, I might have contradicted myself just then. No, I think if there were offers on the table, they should have taken them. If 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 Good Branson gets you a seventh rounder, then I would have. I would. I'm assuming Mikhail Granlin gets you something better than that. Well, so. what's always hard to do, especially at the trade deadline, is looking at moves that other teams make and then immediately comparing them to one another. You know, the biggest one. This particular deadline was the Maple Leafs trading for Nick Felino from the Columbus Blue Jackets. There was a three-team trade. I believe it was San Jose that was also involved to make the money work. But the Detroit. Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs paid a first and a fourth that they gave to Columbus for Nick Felino, who is not as productive of a player as uh, Taylor Hall in his career, 
but Taylor Hall only went for a second-round pick, and Anders Bjork, who was a healthy scratch for the Boston Bruins. So it's easy to say, well, I can't believe the Maple Leafs paid a first-round pick for Nick Foligno, but the Bruins only had to pay a second-round pick for Taylor Hall. I mean... Well, and the Caps paid a pretty right. pretty heavy price. The Maple, there are a couple things at play. One, Taylor Hall had a full no-movement clause and basically admitted that he wanted to go to Boston, which limits right. the Bruins' negotiating strength, which means that they would take what the Bruins were giving them if they, won, if they wanted to trade Taylor Hall. Also, it sounds like the Maple Leafs wanted a player like Nick Foligno versus a player like Taylor Hall. So they were willing to pay a premium for that. So it's it's... It's not as simple as saying right, I know. player X yeah. got this, so Mikhail Granlund should have gotten that. But based on how Mikhail Granlund had been playing, you know, a second or third round pick should have been yeah. reasonable. Yeah. And we had a, 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 a listener, Whit Compton, who, by the way, is one of my favorite listeners because um, when the Predators drafted Yaroslav Askarov, I wrote a story at the beginning of that week saying that they should draft him at number 11. And Wit, which is not his real name, by the way, at least I don't think it is, because his name on my stories and comments is different than his mm, Twitter name. Okay. But I can only remember his Twitter name. So Wit, if you're listening, you no, can tweet at me. Big fan of Wit Compton. Big yeah. fan of Wit Compton. Anyway, he, he commented on my story that if the Predators draft a goalie in the first round, that he'll set his hair on fire. <laughs> so they did. And true to his word, he plucked a thick beard hair off oh, of his chin. Lame. And and let it ablaze. Lame. It's it's it was something. I'll give him right, credit for enough, that. Fair enough. But it's he, hard to let your head on fire. Yes, it is. Safe, um, safely at least. Yes. You know. But Wit tweeted at us with a graph. I don't know what the source of the graph was, but it was talking about the percentage of certain draft picks and Are you an NHL starter or a star? And what percentage chance you are coming out of a certain round. Yes. Right. And I, I did the math on like a, I think I looked, basically you've got like a 30 to 40% chance of drafting a, a starting player in the third and fourth round, give or take. Um, as my, as, uh, as my friend, Steve Dangle, very popular in Toronto, likes to call draft picks, they're magic beans. Would he be a sick dangle? Sometimes he's a sick dangle. Okay. Well, he's not feeling well. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, most people listening to this know who Steve Dangle is. Um, noted Maple Leafs fan. Um, but he calls them magic beans. And that's one way to think about it. Because, yes, you could have gotten a second-round pick, let's say, for Mikhail Granlin. But you don't know what that second-round pick is going to go was going to turn into. For every Roman Yossi or Shea Weber you can draft in the second right. round, there's right. also busts in well, the second I, I, round. I mean, I think that's understood, but it's an asset. I mean, it's an asset. And uh, again, I think the, the point of this conversation, because we need to move on, is if they got offers and said no, because I, I don't know why, a show of solidarity for this current roster and how they're vibing right now, I, I don't like... Is that a shot at Ryan Johansson? No, it's not a shot at Johansson. The, He's been just, saying vibing I know a lot it. I know it is. It's not a shot it's at a him. Thing it's a thing now. It's, it's a hat tip to him. Whatever. Um, I... I, like I don't understand the show of solidarity. That that I don't understand. It, it like oh we're, let's keep it together. I think Yossi said it at the press conference on Tuesday. Basically, like, oh it means a lot to us that he believes in our team. I'm like of course he has to believe in his team. He puts you guys together. 
Like, I, I just think it's ridiculous. Like, of course, I, I don't know. You're on, you're under contract. <laughs> he believes in you. You're on the team. You're on the roster. So, I don't know. The, the point of this conversation is if they had an offer on the table and chose not to accept future assets for any players that we feel are sort of not necessary, not necessarily the best guys, right? We're not talking about Ekholm here. We're not talking about Ellis and Arvidsson and Forsberg and, and, and those guys. We're talking about Cousins and Halla and Granlund. Basically, if they had offers for those guys and didn't accept them, I think that's a bad move. I think that's the wrong move, and we'll leave it at that. It sounds like you agree with me. I will I will add this before we move on. I feel like David Poyle is romanticizing this three-week stretch. Yes. and Of course he is. And that's not how you should act as a general manager. And... He said all of the things that you expected him to say yesterday about how it's been night and day, the team over the past month versus the first couple of months, and that he he believes in this group. We've been hearing that, though, for years, that he believes in this group. And has it gotten him anything? No, yeah, it president, hasn't. President's trophy. Okay. A president's trophy and a Stanley Cup final cup, appearance. Yeah. Other than that, that's not what he's looking for, though. He's looking for a Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you give the same group of players chance after chance after chance? If if the Predators make the playoffs and they beat Tampa and maybe they beat Carolina and they get to the Final Four, I'm happy to set my own hair on fire. Really? Well, not, you know. I think you should do it. I have. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'll do it with you, buddy. If they play in the Final Four... Of the, of the NHL this year, the gold standard will set their hair on fire. Gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Why did we say it so quietly? Because everybody was expecting me to yell, oh. and now they're surprised. You zigged when I was supposed to zag. I like it. I like it. Who lost to Baylor in the national championship game, by the way? Yes, they did. Yeah, go to Jaspers. Uh, great parking lot. I know what it's like to root for a team. Well, I guess Duke wasn't undefeated. You don't they... get to you don't get to complain about it. No, but hold on. Duke wasn't undefeated when they lost to UConn. I think they had one loss that season. Okay, go ahead. They lost to Kenyon Martin in Cincinnati in the Great Alaskan Shootout. Why do I remember that? That game that was almost twenty years ago. Was Trajan Langdon on that team? In nineteen ninety nine? Yes. I... Go to Jaspers. Blue Devils suffered was the only loss they suffered was to the Kenyon Martin led Cincinnati Bearcats in the Great Alaskan shootout and then Kenyon Martin like tore his uh, knee and was out for that for that tournament I yes. think. Yes. Go to Jasper's, free parking, great happy hour, great you menu. You can watch highlights of the 1999 Duke Blue Devils. Jasper's, will you put on highlights of Duke basketball for your clients or do you hate them? Why would they That's not a thing that people People hate. don't like Duke. I'm sorry, Adam. You I like know. Duke, people hate Duke. I just don't get mm, it. I like Duke. Go to Duke. Now I want to look up the Duke basketball team. Jaspers! Jaspers! You can do this while eating delicious Jaspers food, such as... Do what? Look up the 1999 Duke roster. <laughs> okay. Elton Brand, Trajan Langdon, William Avery, Corey Maggetti, Shane yes. Battier. Man. That was a good team. Yeah, it was. 98-99. Nate James. New head coach of Austin P. There you go. See, there's your local tie. Go to Jaspers. You know what? Division one college basketball coaches occasionally walk Nate around Jaspers. James, go to Jaspers. I'm sorry, Casey Alexander and Jerry Stackhouse, but my new favorite local coach is okay. Nate James. Okay. All right. Fair enough. 
All right, as I said, free parking, great bar, great happy hour, specials during Preds games. Gold Standard Cocktail is a fantastic beverage. You can drink it while listening to this podcast, while watching a Preds game, while sitting in Jaspers. That would be lonely, I feel like, to have earbuds in while sitting at a bar. But in theory, you could do that. You could drink a Gold Standard while listening to Gold Standard while watching the Preds at Jaspers. When you travel when you travel on the road like I, I would before the pandemic, you get used to eating and drinking in bars alone. But you, I don't mind it, actually. But you, you make friends, you know. There might be some... This is pre-pandemic, of course. But you might, you know, chat up with the bartender or there might be someone nearby that you chat with, you know, so you're not there alone. But it's also... It's kind of peaceful. I, 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 I do not go to movies alone. I have no problem going to sit at a bar and eat dinner alone. I go to movies alone. Really? I spend, yeah. On the road, a lot, I will go to movies. Like, do you have, you have large chunks of time you need to kill? Yes. Sometimes? Yeah, I don't... That's... I don't know what that's like. The, first uh, of all. I, I don't know if you've ever been. You'll to, be a parent soon enough. You'll yes. know. I don't know if you've ever been to beautiful Glendale, Arizona. Sedona. I've been to Sedona. The uh, Westgate Entertainment Complex, which is across the street from whatever the Cardinal Stadium is known as now, State Farm Stadium or whatever it is, it used to be University of Phoenix Stadium. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the, the big silver thing. Yes, the Coyotes uh, Arena is across the street, and it, it's part of this complex. Uh, there's a Renaissance hotel in that complex, which is where I tend to stay, and that's where the team tends to stay because you can literally walk across the street to the arena for the game. And in that complex, there is a movie theater. There is an AMC, so mm, I will okay. often uh, I will often go to that AMC. I saw um, nobody cares. Hold on, I saw the Joker at that AMC, and I saw what was the movie? Was it this? I told you nobody cares. Oh well, screw you. Go to Jasper's. <laughs> I've I've been to one concert alone. I've never been to a movie alone, and I've eaten at a thousand bars alone. Go to Jasper's, Sounds where you like never a sad eat alone. Life living. Where you never eat alone, unless you're a jerk like Brayden. Anyway, but but again, even in this twelve out of fifteen stretch here, they beat Florida once. They beat Tampa once. No, they didn't beat Tampa. They, they beat Florida once. That's they beat it. Tampa to start it. That's right. They beat Tampa to start it and the Florida once. Out of the twelve of, of out of the twelve wins, two of them came against playoff teams. That's why I think the next third, you know, the final thirteen games of the season, including the game that we're ignoring, are are so important because seven of those thirteen games, as I said earlier, were against those three teams. I. I would feel a lot better, as I'm sure everybody else would, if the Predators had rattled off 12 wins in 15 games with a majority of them coming against the top three teams. Sure. And I do not fault the Predators for beating the teams that they did. They don't make the schedule. Yeah. But it we, well, would... we knew we knew that stretch was going to be the stretch they had to make up some ground. And, and they, they did. did. Yeah. Jinx. So they get a lot of they get a lot of credit for it. All right. So here's my question then: Does this change the calculus in the summertime? With Ekholm, Forsberg's contract we know needs to be renegotiated. you got a few other guys that are coming up. Uh, not necessarily going to be an impact here, but Grimaldi, Yarncroke, Cousins, Trennan, Cunnan are all you know entering their final year of a deal next year. Um, Saros, Olivier, Tolvanen, Fabro, and Davies are restricted free agents that they, they need to get re-signed this summer. Um, is there anything – the expansion draft is this summer as well. Is there anything about this deadline that like changes the way – David Poyle or whoever's going to be in charge looks at the 
you know, the decision making and the mathematics this summer at all? Or do you think it's just sort of the same exact seven and three or four and four? Well, based on what David said about Matias Ekholm on Monday, sounds like it's going to be four and four because he said, I'm not losing Matias Ekholm in expansion. He was pretty clear that's, that about that. pretty direct. So the only way, well, there's, there are multiple ways. So you could trade Ryan Ellis. This is why I keep, this is the thing I want to say about that. David Poyle loves Ryan Ellis. This is not to say that he doesn't love his other core players too, but he loves <laughs> Ryan Ellis. Like thirsty for him. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about that, but the guy. Ryan, Ryan Ellis out there thirst trapping on the power play. Well, I guess so. <laughs> he loves Ryan Ellis. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And yes, you can say the same thing about, you were, well. You just were ripping on people for hating on Ryan Ellis. Oh, you just don't see him trading him. Yes. Okay, I got you. I got you. What no, I was I, going no, to say I follow, I'm was sorry. that I'm sure somebody's going to, to listen to this and tweet at us and say, well, he said the same thing about Shea Weber before trading him. And that's true. Do the voice. <laughs> David Poyle said he also loved Shea Weber, but then he traded him for PK Subban. Um. Anyway, I, I'm just, I, the reason I say it doesn't change the calculus is because if you were gonna move Ekholm or Ellis in the summertime or at the deadline, you can still do it in the summer. Right, like but can, it doesn't. But David Poyle is now on the record saying I'm not. Basically saying I'm not trading Matias Ekholm. Yeah. People change their minds. People do change their minds. But if we're taking him at his word, yeah. we're putting Matias Ekholm within that calculus, as you said. So it comes down again to do the Predators protect four defensemen and then have four forwards protected? And, you know, are two of those forwards, Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson, is one of them Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson? It are none of them Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. Hmm. There might have been some improper English in there, but you know what I'm saying. It's all right. You were vibing. I let you go. Stop saying that. I, I, well, it's it's awkward and uncomfortable for people to listen to, so that's why I enjoy making people cringe. Um, I, I my my big picture takeaway is that I don't think it changes. Like, if you're going to trade Matthias Ekholm at the deadline, or Ryan Ellis, or anybody else. Like if Philip Forsberg was, if you were listening to offers for Philip Forsberg during the deadline period, wouldn't you still be listening to offers for Philip Forsberg during the summer? Especially if you know his asking price is like $10 million and you're not going to get him at that price. I, does that make sense? I'm not suggesting that any of this stuff is actually going to happen. What I'm saying is that I don't think the math changes just because the deadline has come and gone. And, and those decisions, those decisions are still lingering in theory, I guess is my point. As of right now, it seems that when it comes to expansion, it's going to be 4-4-1 four, four, and one again. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Now, do you think they re-sign Matias Ekholm? Maybe not this summer, but I could see them re-signing him before he becomes an unrestricted free agent, like Roman Yossi did. Right. You know, Roman signed, I think, like October Um of, of his final contract year. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I could see something like that. Um, what I think it's more likely that Forsberg takes it to free agency or gets close to it. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you, what would you do if you were in charge? Resign Matias Ekholm and trade Ryan Ellis. 
or keep Ryan Ellis and trade Matias Ekholm? I would... Basically, which one would you keep for the next four or five years? Which we talked about a couple weeks ago. I mean, Matias Ekholm, if I, if I have to choose, it would be Matias Ekholm. But I, I, I think so, too. But I don't think that's going to be a choice. To me, I think you you create the space for those two contracts by moving one of the centers. I That would be ideal. Yes. Good luck. <laughs> Seattle, come on down. I, Matt Duchesne. I, I did look up something that I thought was interesting. Although the cap has changed in the past four years, I went back and looked at all of the players that were drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft in 2017. The highest cap hit, if I was reading cap friendly correctly, was Marc Andre Fleury, 5.75 million. God, James Neal would have been close. He was around there, I think. Yeah. But the point is that I don't think they took a cap hit of larger than $6 million. Right. So good luck trying to get Vegas to take one that's eight. I mean, they got the room. Oh, man. Matt Duchesne. Again, I'm on the record. I would keep Ryan Johansson and try to figure out a way to get Matt Duchesne into Seattle. Up to Seattle. To Seattle. Uh, Real quickly, the rest of the deadline. Uh, It's fascinating to be in a division where you're not going to be in the division next year. So, like, watching Detroit trade off a lot of pieces, Chicago, Columbus, like, it doesn't matter to this team long term. It makes it easier to beat this year, I guess. But it doesn't matter long term, which is very strange. I guess Chicago it does. I should, should take that back, obviously. But I had to go, like, read about other division trade deadline stuff to sort of understand, like, oh, did the Winnipeg Jets get better for next year? You know what I mean? Like, did the Coyotes do something? Did the Wild do something? It was just very odd kind of looking at the trade deadline and seeing winners and losers articles written everywhere, including The Athletic, a great, wonderful website you should subscribe to, and having to, like, study, like, oh, Colorado made a move in a different division. It doesn't affect the Predators today at all, but will next year. And I didn't really see anything major out there. I know the Minnesota Wild could have made a move. They did not. St. Louis stood firm. Like, everybody kind of just kind of lingered around where they are. So I guess there's not really a huge story about the Central Division and how it looks next year and if this deadline had any any impact on that, right? Yeah, I think the busiest team was the Blackhawks. They swapped uh, young depth forwards uh adam Gaudet from vancouver to chicago matthew highmore from chicago to vancouver they traded matthias yanmark for some draft picks they traded carl soderberg to the avalanche where he had previously played um they were the most active team the predators didn't do much the blues didn't do anything uh the jets acquired jordy ben on defense from the canucks um but their defense isn't good enough to scare you next year. No. They're great forwards, great goaltender, but they didn't solve their blue line problem. Yes, and and for those listening, because you probably forgot, the Arizona Coyotes will be in the Central Division uh, starting next season uh, because Seattle will be taking their place in the Pacific Division. Uh, the Coyotes didn't do anything. Um, who am I missing? Dallas. Dallas didn't, didn't do, do any. They 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 picked up Sammy Vatanen off waivers. That was it. Yeah. So yeah, very quiet, cent- typical Central Division. Did you find that odd? Like trying to figure out. I've been so focused on these eight teams that haven't. Like oh, I, I didn't realize. Oh, Minnesota's like nine games over five hundred. 
They've had a very good season. Yeah, it's like it's just it's been so strange tracking other division races and how little I've been watching of them. It's just and again, that's just me, I guess. But I don't know. It's it's so easy to be focused on like, oh, what's Carolina and Columbus doing tonight? And that's not a thing you normally would care about, right? In 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 any other normal year for the Nashville Predators. No. Um, all right. So according to the Athletics um Don Lecisions, the playoff chances for the Nashville Predators. 49%, the Dallas Stars, 32%, and the Chicago Blackhawks, 19%. I have said now for a couple of days, and kind of going back preseason, that I thought Dallas and Nashville would be fighting for a playoff spot. I did not realize that Florida would be above all of them. But it has basically come down to, in my opinion, Dallas and Nashville for the final playoff spot. Do you disagree with that premise, or do you think Chicago is actually still in the mix? I think they're still in the mix because they have three games against the Predators next week. Okay. That's fair. So I, I still think it's a three-team race. Detroit's okay. out and Columbus is out. So it's three teams for one spot. Okay, that's fine. I'll include Chicago in there. Um, that's fine. They've done. They've been very good against um, uh, Chicago, right? They're they are 5-0 five five and and against Chicago. the Blackhawks this season. So uh, they're going to, you know, Chicago would have to sort of turn that on its head a little bit. Um, Dallas and Nashville for the final spot, with Chicago kind of sprinkled in there. Um would you be shocked if it wasn't Nashville at the end of the year? Like I, I kind of would be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, if it's not if it's, if it's not Nashville. I'm feeling that way, but their schedule is so tough. Yeah. So, I would also not be surprised if they fell out of fourth place, which is why yesterday was Monday was so <laughs> confounding to me. Do Do you want to talk about? Uh, do you have anything to add of, of Eric Goodbrinson? Do you need to add something to, about him, or is he just a He's big. Did we not cover him enough? He's six foot five, two hundred twenty plus pounds. He he's pugnacious. That was the adjective I decided to use to describe him in my story. Uh, you know, he's he was a number three pick, I believe, in twenty ten. Um, started his career in Florida, then went to Vancouver, then went to Pittsburgh, then went to Anaheim, then went yeah. to Ottawa. Yeah, I guess we now he's in it. Nashville. Um, seems like a good guy. Um, I actually uh, reached out to Austin Watson yesterday, Monday again, sorry, because Austin, of course, played with Eric in Ottawa this season, and they actually are, are they are friends going back a long ways. And, and as you would expect, Austin had great things to say about Eric, that he thinks he'll fit into the dressing room, which Austin knows well, uh, thinks that he'll be good for the younger players as a, as a role model of type of sorts. And that's not, that's, you can't necessarily discount that, um, but on the ice, his impact is negative. <laughs> yeah, I saw you tweet some some metrics that didn't exactly uh, look favorable to a defenseman defending things, which is normally the job description. It's in the it's in the name of the job. Um, all right, before we get to why this team has been so good and can they keep it up, is it sustainable? We'll look at some of the numbers. Uh, IR and injuries and, and, and timelines. Do you have any insight for the people out there? You know, Duchesne, Forsberg, Tolvin, and Carrier, Borvietsky, Richardson is just sort of a permanent fixture on the, on this list. Fabro, Olivier, any, any timelines? Do we expect some of these guys coming back anytime soon? I know it's been like day-to-day and week-to-week for some of these guys. I know Carrier is out a little longer, but do you have any, any guesses as to who could be coming back anytime soon? Arvidsson only missed one game. Ryan Ellis is back. We talked about that. Any of these injuries that you think could resolve themselves? Well, based on what David said on Monday, 
none of those players are going to be in the lineup this week. So I'm going to assume that none of them played on Tuesday. And I and I expect none of them to play on Thursday or Saturday either. Which would be Carolina and Carolina. Correct. Nice little road trip to, to Raleigh this weekend. Always fun. To, Always a fun trip to, to Raleigh. To uh, get yourself right after you decided at the trade deadline to be a buyer. Get some barbecue. Now, now I'm actually angry. All right. You, you came up with some numbers, some split stats, January 13th to March 14th. And this is right around the time UC Soros came back from injury, by the way. January 18th. Which was, uh, which was March 18th, I believe. Sorry, March 18th. January 13th, which was the first game of the season, to March 14th. The Predators went 11-16-1. Scored 65 goals, gave up 96 goals. 19% on the power play. 67% on the penalty kill. That is which liter- was the worst in the league at the time. That's literally a laugh-out-loud statistic on the penalty kill. 33%. 33% of the time, someone's scoring a goal in your penalty kill? That's ridiculous. Ugh. All right. 5.8% shooting percentage. Worst in the league. Worst in the league. Five, five on five save, shooting percentage. Sorry. Five, yeah, yes. Correct. Five on five. Uh, five on five save percentage, 91.7, which is about middle of the pack in yeah. the NHL. And here's the big one. UC Soros save percentage on the power play. 80%, 0.809, basically. And that was January 13th through March 14th. So the first two months of the season, this team was obviously atrocious. We, this is why we talked about the rebuild every single week on the show. Since then, March 15th to April 13th, and these are all numbers courtesy of Adam Vingan of The Athletic. 12-3 and three record. You had to do some digging on that one. 42 goals, 25 against 42 for 25 against so doubled the scoring 22.6 percent on the power play versus 19 percent on the power play 92.9 percent on the penalty kill best in the league best in the league instead of 67 percent which is worse in the league they went from a 5.8 percent shooting percentage on five on five to a 9.1 percent shooting percentage so from dead last to eighth in the nhl and by the way just to be clear the statistics that you're reading about the current stretch, they you said that they have the eighth best shooting percentage. That's over this three week span. It's not like they improved from 31st to eighth overall. Yeah. So league. yeah. So all of these numbers are over the past three weeks from March 15th to April 13th. So the Predators have the eighth best shooting percentage at five on five between those two dates. Gotcha. Right. So the the first set of numbers was the first two months of the season. The next set of numbers was the third month of the season. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. Five-on-five save percentage, 95.3% numero uno. And Saros power play percentage. Again, remember, first two months of the year, 81%. 93%.930 on the power play, or the penalty kill, I should say, for UC Saros. So this is just another data-heavy way of saying that UC Saros is the reason that this team is doing what it's doing right now, right? He deserves... A lot of the credit. I do think, as the players have been talking about and John Hines over the past several weeks, that this team has appeared much more cohesive on the ice. They are much more resilient. And and those can't be discounted. I, I, I see it. This, te- like, you, this team, even when they lose... Like like the game against Tampa, they lost three nothing. They actually played, I think, a pretty good game, and were solved by a, a hot goalie. 
and Andre Vasilevsky, arguably the best goalie in the league. And so it wasn't like the games against Tampa at the beginning of the season. Right. Where you were down 4 nothing in the second period. Where they did not belong on the same ice surface. Right. So they absolutely deserve credit for that. UC Soros has been incredible. And just as he was at, at, at this stage of the season last year, he's putting the team on his little back and, and carrying them or attempting to carry them into the playoffs. I guess, I guess my question, he's third in the NHL right now in save percentage, by the way, before the game on Tuesday night. I'm with you. It's more than UC Saros. We've said that a bunch of times on this show, like three weeks in a row now. Oh, it's UC, it's UC, it's UC. And certainly he's a huge part of it. There's no question. Goaltending solves everything. That was the issue between LaViolette and Hines last year. But I, I agree that the team doesn't look as overmatched. And it, it, is it false for us to believe that it just took this long for the John Hines thing to take effect? Because there, because there was a pandemic, because he was hired in the middle of the season, because they didn't have an off season because they didn't have a preseason. Is it, is it naive of me to just say like, cause again, I've been saying all along, Hey, you, John Hines needs more time. John Hines needs more time. Is it naive to say that that's all this is, is that he just needed time to install his system and they needed time to buy into it, to figure it out, to kind of finely tune it and actually understand it all and, and, and work through it. Or is that giving the coach too much credit? Is it not giving the players enough credit? What, where should all of this be going in my head? Is I guess the question. Hey, help, help me, Adam. I'm on the couch now. I'm laying on the couch now. Well, it's always an interesting conversation when you talk. We talked about this when I did the voice a couple of weeks ago about how when a team is playing hard and losing, you you tease them for that. But when they're playing hard and winning, they're buying in, right. quote unquote. And I think there has been some of that, and John Hines has talked about that about how players are making plays that perhaps they wouldn't have been willing to make before players are sacrificing more and it's it's hard you can't like here's the thing for someone who relies a lot on data it's hard to quantify it's almost impossible to quantify effort and and heart and work ethic and whatever um but your eyes can tell you as you said that this team is is playing more like a team over the past three weeks. And whatever that reason is, John Hines does deserve a lot of credit. There has been a lot less uh, heat on John Hines among the Predators fan base over the past couple of weeks. Haven't seen a lot of fire poil tweets lately. Well, you might haven't been looking since Monday. Yeah, that's true. Um, But you you don't go from last in the league in the penalty kill to first in the league in the penalty kill because of a goaltender. No, they, they've been better in a lot of, of areas in terms of pressuring the puck and preventing teams from getting into the zone with possession. They've done a lot better at that. Um, you think about some of the big penalties that the Predators have had to kill off. You think of... They There's have, one against Dallas, I think, late in the game, right? Yeah, there was a five-on-three, I think. Yeah. Um, they also had a five-on-three against they also had to kill off a five on three against Tampa last week, I think. Yeah. Um, but the penalty call looks a lot better. You're not out there waiting for the inevitable goal to be scored. Um, and that, and that can change a team's fortunes. And of course you will often hear coaches say that a goaltender is the most important penalty killer on the team. And UC Saros has improved 
his penalty killing save percentage by how many points? <laughs> Thirteen points. Yes, which is incredible. So that that'll that'll I mean consider that when UC Soros went out with injury in early March, he had a sub nine hundred save percentage overall. Right. And now you say he's near the top of the league. He's third in the NHL. Yeah, yeah that's insane. <laughs> right. um, I know. So. Which means the stretch has been even hotter, right? Yes. Because now his entire season number is balanced well, out. Well, I think his overall save percentage since he returned is like 964. Yeah, it's stupid. 965. You know, that's not going to last. Um, but even if it regresses, I mean, even if it regresses to like 930, it's still a pretty damn good. It's still pretty damn good. All of this just lands me back at schedules getting tougher. You expect goaltending to regress slightly. Why didn't you trade some pieces when you could have? That's what I land on. Well, we're going to be having a lot different conversation because by the next time we record, they will have played. Well, they already played Tampa because you're listening to this after that. They have two games against Carolina and they'll have one game against Chicago. We might be having a much different conversation next week. Hmm. Two and two is a good stretch for them. Over these four, when we talk next, I would say at least two, you have to go at least two and two. Yeah, you're gonna have to take two out of three in that Chicago series with because they play them three straight next week. Yes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So, um, all right. Anything else you want to do? Some power rankings here. You know, I love power rankings. I, I do not anymore. You've killed all my love of power rankings. All right. Well, then I'll just do that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I need to pull up. My... Tampa is still, by the way, your betting favorite to win the division. Well, I'll put Tampa at number one. Because that's I have where Tampa they are. at number one, yeah. I'm going to go Tampa one, Carolina two, yep, Florida three, yep, Nashville four, yep. I'm probably just gonna Dallas go the, five. I'm going to go in the order of the division: Chicago five, Fuck. Dallas six, Columbus seven, Detroit eight. There really is no reason for us to do this anymore. No, there's not. But it was your idea, <laughs> so you. But you love it so much. That's why I keep do saying, I? "All right, let's do it." And you, you're like, "I love power ranking. I love power rankings." That's what you say. What do I sound like? <laughs> Every time Braden asked me to do power rankings, it was your idea, was your idea. for me to do power rankings. <laughs> and now you're now you're poo-pooing them. <laughs> All right, that just about does it for today on the show. Where can people find your wonderful work and where the, should they subscribe and how can they follow you and all that good stuff? They can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan, on the Athletic, lots of trade deadline coverage. Not just from yours truly, uh, but all of the team writers as well as the national writers. A lot of trade grades and such. Um, I'm sure I'll be writing about the fallout of the trade deadline for the rest of the week. Uh, so keep an eye out for that sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's great to work for the company. I've mentioned that before, but seeing the collective willpower of every reporter that we have... Uh, being put toward the trade deadline over the past couple of weeks has been really um, nice to see. And so pay for good journalism. So pay for good journalism. I'm sure we're running a special that I'm unaware of. Yeah, for like a dollar probably. It's like a cup of coffee a month. Go pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. Go to the website. Pay for good journalism. Also, pay for the gold standard cocktail at Jasper's. It's a, it's a tremendous beverage. Very light and refreshing. Happy hour during Preds games every single time there's a game at Jasper's. Monday through Friday, happy hour as well, 4 to 6 p.m. It's over on West End. Many people are calling it the next evolution of the sports bar. 
And again, they, we've got a cocktail there called the Gold Standard. It's a whiskey drink, so go check it out. Um, his name is Adam Vingan. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. You can follow me as well at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Check out all the other great shows. We do appreciate it. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>